0: Next on the Science Show, here on RN, one of the best books of last year and now, Getting to Know Your Birds in Your Neighbourhood. Okay, no jokes. This is serious. Daryl Jones is professor at Griffith University in Brisbane. But his neighbourhood is elsewhere.
1: And you live in Malaysia. I live in Kuala Lumpur. Kuala Lumpur. Kuala Lumpur, about... I think it's 5Ks from the CBD, but all around me is extraordinary wildlife and biodiversity. I was not expecting this. Kale has got lots of original rainforest and recovering rubber plant patients. So much wildlife. And I see things like woodpeckers on a daily basis. It's stunning. And I also see five different species of miner, but it's all right. I have trained myself to think these miners belong here. So that's one of the things I had to learn. Well, Indian miners, noisy miners. Once you said that
0: noisy miners are the pests.
1: You know, these were mynars, so the M-Y-N-A version. So common or Indian miners are, are all over the place. But the commonest ones are Javan miners. They're everywhere. And they're just as nasty and horrible, but they belong there and they do their job. Any parrots? No parrots. There are tiny parrots, but How I... How
0: can you live without parrots? I,
1: I know I have to go off looking for them. And the only parrots are these little hanging parrots and they're about as big as a budgie. But there's plenty of other things to make up for the parrots.
0: Do you mean they hang?
1: They literally hang upside down and eat the seeds that they like by hanging from the outermost fringes of the limbs that they're walking around on. Your latest book, beautiful book. About knowing your
0: neighbourhood birds. And I must say, since moving to the country more than actually living in a big city, knowing who the neighbours are is so important. It tells you so
1: much about your precincts, doesn't it? It really does. And it also tells you how things are changing. Because if you've been anywhere for a little amount of time in a human environment, you'll see that it's continuously changing maturation of vegetation and that's attracting different sets of birds. Different birds will move in and then they will interact with the other birds that are already there and some will go and some will stay and it's extraordinary. And I can't tell you enough, Robin, how important and interesting urban ecology is. It's really there. You're right, they're our neighbours. That's what I'm trying to get across. They're our neighbours. They just happen to have feathers and they treat us just like neighbours as well.
0: Well, I keep telling my partner, who is, in fact, trained as a vet and uh, huge experience in natural history, that the birds come to see me because they're very fond of me. And she tells me it's because I feed them. You once gave me permission to feed them when we did an interview.
1: You're to blame, in fact, aren't you? But I love it. I probably am to blame, but I think you probably said something, is it possible to feed these birds safely or something along those lines? And I said, yes, of course, Robin, of course, as long as you do it properly and not too much. But I don't think you've taken a notice of all the things that I said, have you? You're probably feeding a little bit more than you should, I'm suspecting.
0: Well, I just put it out there and they can monitor and control their own diet.
1: Dear listener, you can tell already that these birds have controlled and they've trained Robin very well to supply exactly what they need but the good news is, Robin, that although they seem to be at your place all the time, I'm suspecting that probably between 60 and 70% of their diet is all completely natural, which is the main thing that they do. As I keep saying, it's a snack. When they come to visit us and take away the food that we provide, it's a snack. It's a cup of tea and a Tim Tam. And on their way, they go, thankfully, because we don't want it to disrupt their natural environment. I just want to
0: ask about some of the changes that have happened. And one thing that I'm grateful for is the regulars... They don't turn up every day, but they're the king parrots. And I am absolutely astounded that they're all so incredibly tame. Mm. They demand that I don't have just the big dish that's there for the other birds. They want the silver dish, (laughs) which I take out, and then the male, with its wonderful crimson top, hops onto my wrist without hesitation and then picks out the black seeds, because it prefers that, yeah. and the wife, the female, who's not there at the moment because I think she's on the nest, does it on the other side oh. and when they've had about 15 minutes' worth, they make a squeak and fly off. Amazing. But how come they're so tame?
1: I suspect they already have relationships with others all around the, the district. Probably lots of people feed those beautiful birds because it's very irresistible. In Queensland, they call them the tomato salad bird, because it looks sort <laughs> of like, like lettuce and tomato, I suppose. Now, and exactly the same thing's happened in my home. They were very rare visitors, but now they're regulars. And they're one of the most discriminating of birds when it comes to the seeds, because I always feed them. I've got a very elaborate secret recipe of my own design, but it contains all sorts of things. But the, some of them, like the rainbow orchids, will just eat everything and leave charred remains behind. Whereas these guys select often the smallest seeds... I remember once there was a whole lot of seeds and I thought they were just walking around among the seeds on this flat platform that I use for my feeder and I realised they weren't even taking the seed that I'd put there. The tree above them, the eucalypt tree above them had been showering tiny little seed, eucalypt seeds, which are tiny, and they were putting their tongues on them and taking them in preference to all the beautiful, expensive seed that I provided for them. So they're very discriminating. But that doesn't surprise me because we now know that birds have an incredible ability to know exactly what they require in terms of dietary needs, depending on part of the breeding season, especially the females which might be making eggs or feeding young or something like that. They have specific, very detailed knowledge about what their bodies need and they are guided by that. You talk about the change. Now, one change which I
0: don't comprehend and which worries me slightly is our family of magpies. Now, the male and the female, the female was called floppy wing because one of her wings was hanging a bit loose. She flew nonetheless pretty well. Mm -hmm. And the male, they would come along and teach their offspring when they're in their teenage years, that this is where you come to. You go down there and it's perfectly safe. And sometimes if there was something a bit hard, they would do what the crows would also taught their youngsters to do, and that's put them in the water and swill them around a bit. Mm. Now, we used to be having a breakfast serenade. Instead of tapping on the window, they would sing beautifully, Mm. warbling as usual. I haven't seen them now for something like half a year. Where do they go? How long
1: do they live? They live, we think, between 18 and about 25 years, so they're fairly long-lived birds for passerines, but lots of Australian birds are long-lived. Do you mean that all the magpies have vanished altogether?
0: Not all of them. There is a new couple who are turning up and they're a bit flighty, but they're gradually becoming Uh, used to the place.
1: So it sounds like there's been a turnover of the ownership of the territory. That's probably what's happened. So maybe one of the previous pair has died or something's happened to them and they were unable to keep defending their territory and there's been a takeover. So these new birds are probably a little bit less, well, they will have a different relationship to you. So that does happen on occasions, but it might only be once every 10 or 20 years or something. But I think that's what's happened. You've got new owners living in and they're just getting used to you.
0: As for the sulphur-crested cockatoos, (laughs) don't laugh. (laughs) They're not architects. They're the reverse, obviously, but it's quite interesting. You mentioned that they trained me and my partner. She's saying that as well because one of them, called Beaky, flies up and perches on the handle of the French windows and taps on the glass and looks through it. And this is straight communication with an intelligent being looking at a less intelligent being, me.
1: <laughs> I, I, absolutely. And and you come scurrying along because, oh, there they are. I must do my their bidding right now. So they, they have trained you very well, Robin, and they get exactly what they're after. But, you see, they eat the food, which is, of course, biscuits, yes. certainly biscuits that they like. And they
0: don't take it away. They all sit there in a row Mm. up on the railing of the deck and they all eat the biscuit with their left foot. Why the left foot is a hand?
1: Don't know. I I don't think anybody really knows why it's the left instead of the right. But it's a a thing that we now know at least among the – Cockatoos, because not all parrots use their hands, well, their feet, to hold things with. The cockatoos certainly do. And it's 99 point something percent of them only use the left. If you see a, a right handed one, that's a very rare experience. And I think you've probably seen one, have you?
0: Yes, it was just one uh, I saw last week, and that's the first one ever.
1: And I wonder whether they get pressured into um, conforming to the left handedness like we were all taught to. Like know.
0: the ABC does in its <laughs> broadcasting, you <laughs> mean?
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's right, exactly. But you know, I wonder whether the right-handers are treated in any way differently because they certainly would notice. They would certainly know that. Being the season now, if you hear a scratchy sound, what we normally
0: hear from the black, yellow-tailed cockatoos is this this wonderful, (laughs) rather mournful cry, but in the sky where they're flying at just below stalling speed. Right. Huge wings, but the rather more raucous thing, we recognise now as the youngsters on a training run. Right. And I, last week I saw two of them up a tree just of passing the time. Right. <laughs>
1: uh, but on one, an early flight out with parents who are training them how to do this, how can they? such a big bird have such slow wing beaks and not plummet to the ground? They're so big and heavy, you think you've got to be flapping more often than that to stay upright. You know, when you see how fast um, rainbow lorikeets, flutter their wings when they go screaming through the air. Always wondered why they didn't crash, because they how do they stay buoyant? But anyway, they do. They're gorgeous, and that sound is just so evocative, isn't it? Mm. It is mournful, no no doubt, absolutely. (laughs) And uh, the thing that I find really fascinating,
0: even though we've got a tiny place, and the front half of it points out to where down below there's, there's the road and, you know, it's more public, the back one is rather more protective and it's it's slightly almost like a, a little English garden and that's where all the tiny birds are. Oh, yes,
1: okay. Have you got noisy miners out the front or anything like that?
0: We have very few miners, really. The, yeah. the miners turn up now and then but right. and we've got... A few sparrows actually oh. turn up in the front as well. Really? Yes, right. It's quite amazing. But the back,
1: it's, it's yeah, finch okay. territory. Yeah, yeah. Right, uh, perfect. That's, that's fantastic. Because that finches and and probably fairy wrens are a good indication of whether you've actually got... And intact biodiversity, because they're both really vulnerable to the changes that we wrought upon the landscape when we urbanise. So that's good, Robin. You've got a that's a really good sign that you've got some things going on there. More of the complete ecosystem that you you hope you can have. Yeah, blue wrens and so on. And
0: now that we've got so many people, who you've found this. Talking about your book on breakfast, on various other broadcasts, it's unstoppable, isn't it? But you've found, really, that so many Australians are looking at their wildlife like that. It, it's absolutely marvellous, isn't it?
1: I'm, I'm so thrilled. It's one of the rare good things that came out of COVID because there's an innate interest, but it did, we didn't have the opportunity, I don't think, to really take notice of this. But one of the things that happened with COVID, we, we all became local. We got to know a backyard or just our street, or maybe the little park across the road. And we noticed for the first time, it, because for all sorts of reasons, but one of them was a desperate hoping for something positive. And the birds we discovered were having, carrying on, they weren't all worried like we were about the pandemic, whether somebody was going to, you know, sneeze on you and you'll die. I mean, we, we we were generally, had no idea what was going to happen. It was a very uncertain times. But the birds kept going and they kept coming And lots of people have told me that, isn't it interesting, during the COVID times, the birds came to my backyard. Well, you know what, they were already there. We were just too busy and preoccupied to notice them. But yeah, as a result of COVID, there's been a massive increase, not just in Australia, but globally, in the local birds all around. And there's been evidence like the pairs of binoculars, difficult to find. They were just caught up. Every pair of binoculars was bought. The bird books were all bought was a huge increase in interest in birds in general. I'm just so grateful of that. And this little book is trying to encourage that. For all those people that have maybe not been serious about birds or just taking notice of like no more, that's what getting to know the birds in your neighbourhood is all about. And it's a very beautiful book, and it's so different from... You know, I've got a few, obviously, but you
0: recognise immediately that this is different and it's suiting its purpose. But, Daryl, tell me, you've written so many. What more is there to write about birds, do
1: you think? (laughs) I will be writing bird Birds while I have breath, Robin. There's no doubt about that. I don't want to tell you how many books I've planned, but there's plenty of them. I've got a lot more to say, absolutely, especially about the birds that live among us in the urban areas. That's an unknown field. There's still completely extraordinary things to be discovered right in your backyard, and that's what I'm really hoping people will be taking interest in. And do you think, you know, what I was starting to say in terms of what might be
0: their interest in us Is it really straight mercenary, here comes the food, or do they like our companionship as well?
1: I think they actually do enjoy our companionship. Lots of the birds, especially the social ones, like to treat us as members of their family or their extended social groups, and that's the way they behave with us. How many people listening to this program melt when the pair of resident magpies bring next year last year's chicks in and introduce them just as you described earlier how here they are here are the nice people that are looking after us they're providing food for us you can do the same thing when you grow up if you learn how to recognize a complete sucker when you see one and you can train them easily just like we did you know that's the sort of thing so yes now we can have relationships with these birds it's actually genuine back and forth i'm really pleased about that sort of thing finally what's the next book It's probably going to be a bit more serious, but it's going to be an extension of the stories that I started to tell in my memoir, which came out last year, called Coolers on Vulture Street. It'll be more stories from me, but perhaps with a bit more of an edge. We have to face the fact, Robin, we're in a crisis, many different crises are all coming together at the same time. So it's going to have hope. It's subtitled, I don't know what the actual title is yet, but the subtitle will be something like um, Stories of Hope from the Anthropocene.
0: Daryl Jones at Griffith University in Brisbane, though he lives in Kuala Lumpur. His book is Getting to Know the Birds in Your Neighbourhood. It's Terrific.